Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. You know, I told you that we're going to go over the divisions of the Old Testament until I'm comfortable that you know them, that you are clear about them and clear with them. So uh, let's do that. Let's rehearse. The Old Testament divides into how many major sections, saints? Four major sections. And those four major sections are what? The law, history, poetry, and prophecy. And the law books are what? Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. The history books are what? Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. The poetry books are Job, Proverbs, Psalm, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And the prophetic books are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, let me tell you something. The prophetic books divide into uh, two major sections. You have the major prophets and the, anybody know the other one? The minor prophets. And how many major prophets are there? Right. And how many minor prophets are there? Twelve. I'm trying to help you out to pass this test. There are five major prophets, and those major prophets, we just read them, are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And then the 12 minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, come on, say it with me, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And Nehemiah is in which section of, uh, uh, of the divisions? in the history, in the historical section. Uh, Were you with me over the last couple of weeks? If you were, you know that it's 537 B.C. In 537 B.C., these dates I'm giving you, listen, I'm not giving you these dates to impress you so you can think I'm a smart person. I'm giving you these dates because they're very, very important. Uh, It's not that, um, you know, I'm just throwing out a bunch of dates to you. These dates are very important. And and if you have a pen and and a pad, you write down these dates. Uh, 537 B.C., the Medo-Persian king Cyrus gave a decree that all Jews were allowed to return to their homeland from Babylonian captivity. And there was three separate departures. Remember we talked about that? And um, three separate departures of the people under three different leaders. And departures meaning leaving Babylon, coming back to their homeland in Jerusalem. There were three separate deportations as well. And then there were three separate departures leaving Babylon. Uh, The first group came home and they were led by anybody know? 
Zerubbabel. Very good. Zerubbabel was the political leader of the tribe of Judah. God used Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. Write that down. It's important. It's huge. God used Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. Sixty years later, the second group leaves captivity under the leadership of who? Ezra. Ezra. Very good. Ezra was a priest and a scribe, and his mission and ministry was to get the people back to worshiping God because while they were in captivity, they got off track. God used Ezra, write this down, to rebuild the people. God used Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. God used Ezra to rebuild the people. The third and the final contingency is coming back 445 B.C. We're going to talk about this date tonight. 445 B.C., the third and final contingency is coming back. Led by, anybody know? Nehemiah, very good. He's coming back to rebuild the walls. So God used Zechariah or, or Zerubbabel, pardon me, to rebuild the temple. And God used Ezra to rebuild the people. And God used Nehemiah, Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, last week, we learned that Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Remember in chapter 1, right about verse 11, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. The cupbearer his job was to sample the king's food and drink because there might be some who would seek to assassinate the king. And I told you that a cupbearer was an important influential uh, job in the royal court. Were you with me last week? Just by show of hands, were you with me last week? Uh, it was an important job in the royal court. You know that then. And, and uh, Nehemiah, uh, the cupbearer, was like the king's right-hand man, a confidant, trusted by the king. The cupbearer had great authority and responsibility we talked about Nehemiah, who was a man of influence, a man of availability. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah was a man of burden, and he was a man of prayer. Anybody know the last point we made last week? He was a man of action. Very good. Tonight, we see the man of action move out. I've titled this sermon, Pray, Plan, and Move Out. Nehemiah chapter 2, saints, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1 of chapter 2 of Nehemiah, say, I'm looking at it, Pastor. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine, Nehemiah, the cupbearer, and then he gave it to the king. Are you with me? Now, I had never been sad in the presence of the king before. Underline that. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad? Since you're not sick, this is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, you look at verse 3, when the city, the place of my father's tombs lie in waste and its gates are burned with fire. And then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed, underline that. I prayed to God of heaven. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask you that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen was sitting right there. How long will your journey be? When will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me. And I sent, and I set him a time. In other words, how long I'm be gone, when I'm coming back and all of that. I set a time. Furthermore, in verse 7, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they may permit me to pass through 
till I come to Judah. A letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple or the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. So he's not only going to build the walls, he's also going to build himself a house to live in while he's there. Makes total sense to me. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of, oh, underline that, according to the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letter. Now the king has sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalot in verse 10, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard of it, they were deeply disturbed. Why? That a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Saints, stop right there. Give me your attention. It has been said that there are basically three types of people in the world. There are those who make things happen. There are those who watch things happen. And there are those who wonder what happened. Where are you? You have to say that. Nehemiah was the guy who fit into the first category. Nehemiah was a man to make things happen and get the job done. Now, just in the rare chance that you have not been here on Wednesday nights for the last month, we forgive you. But this part is for you. In November, December, Nehemiah was walking down the halls of the citadel. Two guys by the name of Hanani and Hakaliah had just returned from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about 900 miles away. Nehemiah asked these two guys, he's just a normal day, an ordinary day in the life of Nehemiah. We talked about it. He asked these guys how things are going with the people in Jerusalem. And, um, and, the, and they told him that, that things are not good, that the people are in distress and the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are burned. And Nehemiah's heart was broken, remember? And he cried and he wept and he fasted and he prayed. We talked about this last week because the people were vulnerable to the enemy. So now we come to chapter 2, and notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to look at it again. It tells us that it came to pass. This is very important. Please turn your brain on and listen. It came to pass in the month of Nisan. The month of Nisan, write it in your margins or in your notepad, is March or April. Now we know that Nehemiah received the news, I just told you, in November or December. So we're talking about four months. Four months have passed since learning of the condition of Jerusalem. Now watch this. Nehemiah has prayed and he has waited for four months with this on his heart. And during those four months, Nehemiah's prayer was probably, Lord, either take this burden off my heart or show me how to be the man to answer this burden. Obviously, the Lord chose the latter. And Nehemiah doesn't know it. Get this. Nehemiah doesn't know it. But this day, please listen to me. This is huge. Nehemiah doesn't know it. But this day is the most important day in the history of Israel and might even add in the history of the world. This day. Because there's a fascinating prophecy spoken by Daniel connected to this day. What do you mean, Rodney? 
It's in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. It tells us, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command, are you reading along? From the going forth of the command to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. The streets shall be built again and the walls even in troubled times. So from the time the commandment goes forth to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, not the temple, but Jerusalem. Remember, the temple was built and restored by who? Zerubbabel, exactly. From the time the decree is given, you can start counting, according to Daniel. Leave that verse up there, please. According to Daniel, you can start counting. Using the Jewish lunar calendar, if you hit your clicker on March 14th, that is this date right here in chapter 2. It's March 14th, 445 B.C. If you hit your clicker on this day, you count 173,880 days. That will bring you to, anybody know? April 6, 32 A.D. Anybody know what happened on April 6, 32 A.D.? Uh, no, but close. Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, April 6, 32 A.D. It was Palm Sunday. Did you get that? Nehemiah didn't know it. Nehemiah is being faithful to God because he cared about the people of God because his heart was right before God. And when he received the news about the people, he was bummed out. And because he was bummed out and sad and waited for four months, finally his heart is so heavy, he can't stand it anymore. He goes before the king and the king begins to inquire. And with that sadness and that inquiry, the history of the world is set in motion. I find this fascinating and interesting. And just like God, did you get that? That God is using Nehemiah's sadness to bring his word and prophecy to fulfillment. And think about this. If Nehemiah was not bummed out, and if he didn't look sad, the king wouldn't have said, what's your problem, what's up? And Nehemiah may never have told him. And if Nehemiah didn't tell him, the commandment wouldn't have been given and all of Daniel's prophecies would have been messed up. I mean, think about it. He may, the prophecies may have gotten messed up and maybe Jesus would have, you know, they would have gone to get the donkey. Jesus told the disciples, go get the donkey. And maybe the prophecies are all messed up now. So the disciples go and get the donkey because Jesus knows the prophecies, but the disciples don't know. And so they go get the, the donkey, but when they get there, the donkey's not there. And they come back, hey, Jesus, the donkey's not there. And then Jesus doesn't have a donkey to ride in Jerusalem on. And so maybe they go get the donkey, and maybe the donkey is there, and Jesus rides in Jerusalem. But the prophecy also talks about that people are going to be on the street. Are you listening? People are going to be on the street saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're going to be praising God. There's going to be a parade, and the streets are going to be lying with people. And perhaps the prophecy gets all messed up, so Jesus comes riding in on his triumphal entry. And ain't nobody there. Maybe two guys standing on the street and they're just like, hey, Jesus goes riding by and they just go, hey, what's up, bro? And you know, they were waving palm branches. Maybe they just stand there with a leaf or something from a tree and they go, hey, what's up? You mess up the prophecy. And the prophecy is fulfilled all because Nehemiah was sad. 
If he hadn't been sad and gone into the presence of the king, the prophecy would have been messed up. Now listen, all joking aside, everything as it relates to the coming of the Messiah and Israel recognizing their Messiah and Jesus weeping over Jerusalem is hinging on Nehemiah looking sad at just the right time. Y'all got to get this. At just the right time. Then let me say something about depression, if you will. Sadness. If you're depressed, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe God's going to use it. You know, people come and tell me all the time. They say, well, you know, I, Pastor Rodney, I'm just feeling depressed. and I'm just feeling bummed out. You know, I just feel, feel depressed. I feel bummed out. I'm like, me too. <laughs> man, you depressed too? Yeah, man, I'm depressed, man. I'm bummed out. Me too. You know, we often think that when, when a person is depressed that they need to see his shrink. Over and over, great men and women of God, read your Bibles, over and over, great men and women of God were depressed. David said, why is my soul cast down and all the waves and the billows are going over me? We need to understand, a little depression and a little sadness is good. Huh? Yeah, you heard me right. A little depression and a little sadness is good. As a matter of fact, God can use your depression and God can use your sadness. Think about this. If you never experience sadness or you never experience depression or there's never a problem in your life, you are missing out on what Paul says when Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. And too often, listen, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. We want to experience, Christians, the power of his resurrection, but we do not want to experience the fellowship of his suffering. And at the same time, we're saying, I want to be like Christ. Huh? You can't be like Christ unless you experience the fullness of Christ. And part of experiencing the fullness of Christ is the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his suffering. Sometimes it's a good thing to just sit broken in the presence of God. Did you hear me? It's the truth. I'm trying to help you. Sometimes it is good to be depressed. Sometimes it's good to be sad. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about overboard where you want to commit suicide. That's not what I'm talking about. And actually, most people aren't there. A lot of people talk about it, but most people really aren't there. I'm talking about a little sadness and a little depression is a good thing. I'm depressed. And you sit before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm depressed. And then say this. Say, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Well, somebody clap your hands like you know what I'm talking about. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It was good that Nehemiah was sad and depressed because in that sadness and depression, God stirred his heart and that heaviness and that sadness and that burden turned to vision and action. And God pushed Nehemiah's spirit down so far that finally he walked into the presence of the king. He couldn't hold it any longer. And Nehemiah, again, he didn't know all this. He's just doing what a cupbearer does. He was just not willing to be content. He was a man who wasn't willing to be complacent. 
He just dared to care, and God used him. Now remember, it was four months of waiting, fasting, and praying. When Nehemiah heard the news, he didn't just quit his job and run to Jerusalem. He waited patiently and prayed fervently and continued to do the work faithfully for four months. The Bible's got a lot to say about waiting. The Bible has a lot to say about being still. I think it should be a spiritual gift. I mean, I really do. Because it's, it's like that. <laughs> Only four of y'all raise a hand. The rest of y'all ain't telling the truth. Five. <laughs> Write these down, okay? Let me move forward. Exodus fourteen twelve. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Ruth three eighteen. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am Isaiah 28.16, whoever believes will not act hastily. Isaiah 30.18, blessed are all those who wait for him. Habakkuk or Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer and when I am corrected. And then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it for the vision is yet for, note this, an appointed time. But at the end, it will speak and it will not lie. And though it tarries, do what saints? Wait for it because it will surely come. I will not tarry. Isaiah forty thirty one. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord is not wasting time. It's investing time. It's investing time. You know, and I read this and I thought it was pretty interesting. Did you know the annual cost of running red lights is $7 billion annually. Medical bills, car repairs, so on and so forth. The average amount of time saved in running red lights is only 50 seconds. I was shocked. You mean that's all the time I'm saving? <laughs> no, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it slipped out. How'd that slip out? <laughs> my wife ain't laughing because see when, 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 when you run the red lights only, I've only done it once and many of you know they take a picture of your license plate nowadays y'all know tell the truth you know waiting I really do believe it should be a spiritual gift it's very difficult it's very difficult to wait on the Lord. Patiently wait on the Lord. Nehemiah waited 
And he went before the king and he was sad. Now listen, in the ancient world, you were forbidden to be sad. The reason why I had you underline it and note the Bible points it out very clearly. Now I had never been sad in the presence of a king before because it was forbidden to be sad in the presence of a king. If you were sad in the presence of a king, you could be killed. I think of Daniel chapter one. While in Babylon, Daniel uh, said to the eunuch, we don't want to eat or drink at the king's table. You remember that story in chapter one? And, and the eunuch said, okay, but if the king notices that you guys are losing weight and looking gaunt and weak, he's going to cut off your head and make my house a dunghill. And Daniel said, okay, then I'll help you out and I'll eat some vegetables for 10 days. But the eunuch was afraid to allow the men that he was in charge of to look sad in the presence of the king. I think of Esther chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth, which is kind of like this itchy burlap. And he went into the middle of the city and he cried with a loud and bitter cry. And he went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. It was forbidden to be sad in the presence of the king. If you were sad in the presence of the king, you could lose your life. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Don't you wish that was a rule today? (laughs) You can't ever be sad in my presence. Only come around me happy, (laughs) joyous. The king said, why are you sad? I noticed you're not happy. You don't look sick, verse 2. I think you look a little depressed. Listen, when you, when you know somebody, how would the king know this? Well, when you know somebody and you work with them every day, you kind of get to know how they look. Yes. And then they come in looking a certain way. You know, something's up when you live with somebody for so many years, you know, something's wrong. Right. I walk in the house and say to my wife, hey, honey, how you doing? And then I look at her and go, what's wrong? And she goes, Nothing. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.